I welcome you to another go-around. Another go-around with me. 6.49 p.m., 6.49 at the um, eh, 7 o'clock is really the uh, the opening bell here, but you know, you know what we do. I'm still too nervous to go live just at 7 o'clock. I've had so many technical difficulties over the years that I gotta go live early. It's just, it's impulsive. I'm compelled to do it. But it is the 17th day of October. I like this date. There's something really nice about October 17th. October 17th. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of what else happened on this day personally. I feel like October 17th is something important. Uh, I mean, I'm here. So that's good. Every day above ground, as they say. But it's October 17th, 2023. And we've got a little bit of a limited engagement tonight as I am going to go uh, to band practice. We have a gig in Jersey City on November 4th. So um, we're just putting together a short little set. It's going to be like almost, almost like a house party kind of a thing. So there's 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes at a time. It's going to be really easy to, to prepare for. But then we also have things that we want to do with you guys and gals, including live streams that I've been telling you about. But every time we are on track for something like that, someone gets sick or whatever, and we get we erase weeks off the damn uh, calendar. Anywho, that's tonight. So what we're going to do here is we are going to discuss uh, a, a little bit of the themes that I was reading in some articles about uh, about youth depression rates, uh, about worldwide antidepressant consumption and what that means about mental health and where we're going. And then I just wanted to, um, you know, that was just like personal reading, society-based stuff, getting a gauge on what's happening with people and all that. It's really just held it to myself. And then last night on the Quite Frankly Telegram, which is partially run by staff writer for Quite Frankly, John Carroll, he put something up there that is that really harkens back to something that we read on the air in 2021. And I said, you know what? I'm pulling all those other articles around. I'm going to tie this in. And I'm going to ask some larger questions to the audience about, you know, us. And maybe that'll inspire some good calls tonight as we only have an hour and I think we should ha- we should do well. And man, if the calls tonight are anything like the calls last night, it's going to be a wonderful show. Unforgettable last night. In fact, I would love to find a way. Uh, whenever, whenever the tide continues to, to turn and we have a couple of big breaks that come our way on this show, especially financial breaks, I cannot wait to be able to say, all right. I'm putting together two, uh, a two-man video team, and I'm sending them up to Connecticut so they can spend a weekend with uh, John from Connecticut and his wife, Hannah. Because that is a mini-documentary if I have ever, ever heard. And that would be a Quite Frankly TV special. It would be aired on a Sunday night. Everybody would sit around and watch it like it was A&E. Oh, my gosh. That has got to be done. So... My, 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 the gears are always turning, and 2024 is going to be interesting one way or another. You uh, believe you me. All right, so thank you to my sponsors tonight. That is BlueMonsterPrep.com. I told you Pat and Gina would be stopping by tonight, but I said, you know what? Why don't you guys stop by tomorrow for a few minutes since we'll be a little bit less pressed for time? So we'll, uh, we'll talk to them. 
And then tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about strange traditions and customs. I want everybody to think about strange traditions and customs, especially if it's seasonal, especially if it has anything to do with Halloween and autumn and whatnot. I want to know about it. If it's, uh, it has anything to do with local folklore or uh, if it's uh, an ethnic custom or anything like that, that's what I would love to make the main topic be tomorrow night, and we'll work on that one together. So please, please be involved. Be involved tomorrow night. I need all of you calling in tomorrow night. On Thursday, we've got Rachel Wilson. She'll be calling in. She's a wonderful guest. She's a uh, writer and a speaker. I heard her on with Jay Dyer on the fourth hour of the Alex Jones show uh, a couple Fridays ago. After my, uh, as I was actually, as I was waiting for my mother to be released from the hospital because she got her hip replaced. So I went to go pick her up from the. We, we dropped her off. We picked her up, and as I was waiting there at the hospital for her to be discharged. I was just listening. I put on uh, TalkStream Live. What do you know? Jay Dyer is live on uh, InfoWars, which is usually the way that it happens. I always end up listening to him there, and I love it. I love it. So that's where I heard him uh, speak with Rachel Wilson for the first time, and she's going to be great. Coming on talking about first wave feminism, witchcraft, everything, suffrage movement. That's all this week. Matt will probably be in on Friday night. We'll see. And guess who reached out to me? We were talking on the the coffee stream, I think either Friday or Saturday morning, while I was in the mountains and I was just, you know, canoodling with the uh, with the chat room. And someone said, hey, Frank, did you see that Jay Myers is back with a new documentary? I said, oh, wow, Jay Myers Documentaries is back on, uh, back uh, in action over there on Rumble, huh? I said, absolutely. And it's true. He put out a new video on Project Bluebeam. Got a couple other things in the works. I said, I got to make a mental note to reach out to him because it's been a while since we came on. In fact, the last time he came on, he was just launching his, his Rumble. That's where he put all of his archived work there. And we gave him a nice little boost. Nice little boost to get him started. And when I got home, there's an email waiting for me from Jay Myers saying, hey, man, just checking in. I'm back on... Uh, Back on the publishing game, I got something done, let's do it. So, okay, October 25th, next week, Jay Myers is coming in. We'll probably be talking about the ins and outs of uh, Project Bluebeam, which is, by and large, a theory. You know, that's ne- it's something that's never been, like, uncovered. There's no white papers for it. But, you know, when you think about the theory itself and you think about, again, almost like we were talking about the, the Albert Pike letters to uh, Giuseppe Mazzini, about the the world wars those weren't prophetic letters that are supposed to be prophecy they were supposed to be a plan and whether or not it was actually written by pike the fact that they were written at all as far back as they were is pretty interesting as far as accuracy of projection um so we're going to talk to him about that and that'll be a lot of fun because the next night it sets up Greg Carlwood to come in to talk about co- stories he's collected, creepy stories he's collected over the years, whether they be hauntings or uh, any other ghoulish this or that. So I'm excited about that. What the hell is this? October 17th. That's not what I'm trying to do. That's 27th. Then we're going to be doing the creepy small town travel stories probably on that Friday night, October 27th. Oh, there's so much happening. Halloween night itself, so hope you're on board. 
I know I am. All right, so thank you to all who've shown up. Let's get into the grab bag, shall we? First one up, we've got another poopy incident on another airliner. This one's called EasyJet. I'd never heard of it before. I would never get on one just because of the name. EasyJet flight canceled because of a defecation incident. EasyJet flight was canceled and its passengers made to disembark after someone on board the aircraft apparently defecated on the aircraft bathroom floor, which I guess is one step up, one step better than someone defecating all along the aisle. You remember that? Now they have no clue as to who did this. Um, but they they said that something happened. There was a a couple people went to the bathroom and they brought it to the attention of all of the stewardesses and whatnot that there is a the big crap just lying there on the bathroom floor. So since they were there on the tarmac already, they just you know they pulled up one of those uh, those staircases and a cleanup crew came inside and they just tried cleaning up the entire airplane while people were still on board, but apparently that wasn't enough and they had to disembark and then everybody was put up in a hotel for an evening, and there's just another one. Now the good thing about this is that, according to people on the plane, everyone was being very polite to each other. There was no fighting amongst the passengers. It was very uncomfortable experience though. That's what they were saying. Here's one person saying, obviously the plane was in an unsanitary state, so they had to get external cleaners out of the airport to clean it. So that's when the stairs reconnected and the cleaners came on to the deep clean the flooring. But it was frustrating. They were sitting there for a half hour before everybody was said, all right, get off and you're going right into a hotel. And then when they got to the hotel, they realized it was repurposed for refugees. No, just kidding. That's the that, that would have been that's that would have been how my day went. Anyhow, uh, here's another one for you from oh, oh, oh. <laughs> shit. <laughs> so sorry. When that happens, I scare myself too, kids. I'm <laughs> this is from the healing power of film therapy. How watching movies can improve mental health and boost empathy. I'd have to imagine that there are movies prior to uh, 2005. Many of us are enjoying sitting down to watch a good film because of the way movies can make us feel. A sad film might make help us feel release our emotions or comedy might lift our mood. Movies can also offer a chance to connect with and uh, connect with and explore our emotions in a safe way. So it's saying that it boosts empathy. That uh, not only will it, uh, it help you exercise some kind of emotional issues you're going through at that point, but you're also able to connect with characters that are, you know, living very different lives and stuck in very, uh, you know, alien predicaments. It allows you to exercise some kind of empathic knowing and what would you do and, you know, just kind of going through that whole that whole thing. Now, this this I, I can get behind. I, I, I love watching movies for that very reason. He said, I found uh, said, because of the effect that films have, there's a growing interest in using them as a therapeutic tool. Although this field is very new, my review of the research so far shows that film therapy can be effective at helping people process difficult emotions, which may help improve mental health. Now it can, but I would be really interested to see what kind of movies 
would be prescribed for certain things. I really they don't they don't get into anything in particular here. But maybe that's what you guys and gals can do at home. What would you what movies would you prescribe for which emotions and for which things in life? How about that? Uh, I'm going to save this. I'm going to save this. But tonight as a bonus question as you call in, if you can talk about a movie that pulled you out of a funk or made a high even higher, whatever the hell it is, if you're a doctor and the only drug that you can prescribe to somebody who has something going on is a movie, what movie would it be and what would its purpose be? Okay, what would the effect be? Then we can talk about side effects afterwards. So think about that. And regardless of what I bring, uh, what I get from you guys and gals tonight, we have to use this on another night. We got to. So I'm, I'm saving that. Maybe we'll do that on a Saturday or something. Who knows? But Saturdays are getting a facelift too. Let's go into Breitbart now. Macron, Emmanuel Macron, uh, calls for ruthless deportation of all migrants with ties to the Islamic extremism that are in France. He said all radical Islamist migrants residing in France to be removed from the country in the wake of the suspected Islam-inspired assassination of a middle school teacher on Friday. I mean, uh, how many Catholic priests have had their heads cut off in the middle of mass out there in, uh, in France over the last however many years? Just kind of whistled past that one. Uh, so, I mean, great. Now, I guess it's a start. I guess it's a start. Um, by and large, the Islamic world, by and large, is incompatible with Western civilization. Uh, whether whether you tend to look at Western civilization as Christian or purely secular, incompatible. Now, Muslim families making conscious decisions to emigrate here, to assimilate, to get on with life, that's not an issue. It's not an issue that people pray different from others or keep certain customs alive within their families and their homes or wherever. But um, the planned importation of tens of millions of people from the Islamic world, uh, government-funded, NGO-funded, and executed resettlements, trafficking, the boat invasions across the Mediterranean, the complicity that we've seen, that was always going to be a death sentence for Europe. Always. Always. Now, of course, this is because of another little, uh, well, not a little, uh, especially if there's a, if you're, um, you know, related to this teacher or you're from a town that had something horrible like this happen. But there's a lot more things like this popping up. We, we were listening to uh, Director Ray last night. Uh, since the uh, the post the post Israeli 9/11 resurgence of using the threat of Islamic terror has you know been revived as a call to action now it's like okay well this is always an issue and um, and I don't know I I, I think that uh, I think Europe is on fast track to being erased even if you are not even if you would just account for those who are just there and replacing everybody. It's two different worlds. Two different worlds. And one of them has babies and the other ones don't. 
that's the other thing. Statistically speaking, that's just the other thing there too. But Macron, yeah, he, I mean, he's willing to do something. What is he going to do? How effective is it going to be? I don't know because you have to be very careful of what you enforce, what ideas you enforce, and how far you are willing to go to secure your country. Because now there's so many people inside that if they feel slighted in any way, shape, or form, you risk a monstrous uprising. Monstrous. Very fiery one, too. Uh, Okay, here we go. Uh, But on the other hand, for those countries in the Middle East, I think they know exactly what they want to do, and that is stay away from refugees. No, no, no. King Abdullah on Gaza. No refugees in Jordan. No refugees in Egypt. We're the idiots that'll take them all. We're the idiots. And we're usually the idiots that, that, that cause the need for the refugees to have to go somewhere as well. Now, I heard that Joe Biden was going to Israel tomorrow. I got this email. I got a few emails about that. Uh, here's one from Nick. Now, listen to this. Said, Frank, there's a lot of talk today about Biden making a trip to Israel tomorrow. The consensus seems to be that the reason he is going to delay Israel from invading Palestine with a ground offensive, this would give uh, this would give Iran, Hamas, and whoever else time to get their feet back under them and reset. I don't know about any of that, but still. Part of the reason many are talking heads or thinking this is because the plan seems to have come together very quickly over the last two days, and that is very atypical for a president to go into an active war zone with such short prep time. So what if the the reason he is being sent there is to die in an airstrike? Think about the massive implications of what that would do. Number one, it gives Kamala and the Democrat Party massive sympathy. It would turn millions of Americans that are on the fence into massive war hawks out of pure patriotism, whatever's left of it, I guess. It would guarantee that we will not only spend a ton of money on this war, but that we will also commit troops. It will boost poll numbers because we tend to not change presidents in the middle of a war uh, where we have boots on the ground. It gets Biden out of the way and stops the leaks that are, are are used to try to push a stubborn Biden Jill into resigning. These leaks are getting too close to exposing Obama and the other bad actors on both sides of the aisle. And it also gets Hunter sympathy. F- people will feel bad and be less interested in pushing for prosecutions because I think they will have to be somewhat concerned he may roll over on them. No, that's when he would go too. He said, I don't want to be right here, but it sure checks a lot of boxes that would be very convenient to the Uniparty and the WEF's plans. Could also throw in some immigrant violence on U.S. soil and martial law at point number two above. Does not work. Thank you. Best regards, Nick. Now, it's not a crazy theory. It's an extreme theory. And again, one of those things that, you know, by this time tomorrow night, we'll know what it's all about it's an extreme theory but as far as i say it's not crazy because as far as all the hegelian aspects of the scenario it would provide it would provide all those opportunities it would now the only question is would it really be biden uh would biden be okay with being murked like that is he living in a cave for the rest of his life uh would he not know is he just is it just going to happen i don't know I don't know, but it's one man's theory, and it's a crazy, crazy, crazy world. So with that being said, it's 7.13, and that is all for the opening. So I hope you enjoyed that. Keep those movie prescriptions in mind, perhaps, 
and let's jump into the meat and potatoes of tonight's short show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! do a little so welcome to the show it's quite frankly thank you guys and gals for sponsoring it thank you to all the sponsors all the people who make this possible every night thank you now to get right into this i was reading this article from abc not too long ago and it said the following the, the headline is this amid what's being called a youth mental health crisis is social media facing its own tobacco moment is social media facing its own tobacco moment okay now what is that tobacco moment obviously there came a time where tobacco was you know really squeezed as far as how it was advertised how accessible it was and you know especially with youth um but here we have here we have something that's really interesting here are some of the highlights our children have become unknowing participants in a decades-long experiment, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy told ABC News in a statement. And while there is more that we have to learn about the full impact of social media use on their health and well-being, we know enough now to take action and protect our kids. Now, there's a landmark advisory here. He issued, this Murthy guy, issued what may become a landmark advisory on social media. According to the advisory, the current body of evidence, this is a quote, indicates that while social media may have benefits for some children and adolescents, there are ample indicators that the social media can also have a profound risk of harm to the mental health and well-being of children and adolescents, not to mention adults. Adults are just as fried, just as addicted, Between 2011 and 2021, the suicide rate among people aged 10 to 24 increased by 60%. According to Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, National Center for Health Statistics, uh, that's who did the, the study. In addition to the spike in the suicide rate among young people, a February survey from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention found that nearly three in five teen girls in 2021 reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless a 36% jump since 2011. 
with 95% of teens between the ages of 13 and 17 using social media. Murthy's advisory quickly drew comparison by some observers to a 1964 Surgeon General report that highlighted the dangers of another common activity, smoking. Now, here's the thing. Smoking, although it is a hygienic, I would, I would say that's a little bit more of a hygienic situation. The, uh, and, uh, and, and even though it is, a, it is a net negative as far as hygiene and health goes, uh, it can actually be a little bit more, uh, it's, it's a social thing. Certainly is a social thing. Um, this is antisocial, social media. That's the ironic mention about that. And of course, now my computer's just blinked for the first time, the second time, actually, in uh, a month. I thought this was all behind me. So the enigma, the enigma. What am I going to have to do over here to get ahead? I don't know, but we'll just keep going on my blinky little way. However, experts say that comparison between the two public health crises only goes so far. Yes, yes. In addition to the concerns about increased mental health risks for adolescents who spend more than three hours a day on social media, the advisory noted that social media can expose young people to harmful content and risks displacing the time children spend socializing in person during one of the most formative times for brain development. It is, no doubt. And even those who were old enough to have social media-less socialization periods in their time seem to have been made caveman-like. I think all of that can be reversed. I really do think so. I think all the time spent socializing in those formative you know, moments, those spans of time in your life, I think it really can be uh, reversed. I think everybody's just, the, the, the brain fog is just crazy. But however, the advisory also notes that social media offers positives for young people. According to Pew Research, 59% of adolescents reported that social media helps them feel more accepted, a finding shared by many people who spoke with ABC News. I was super weird growing up, and if I only had the context of my school and the world that was close to me physically, I would have really disliked myself and been confused as to why I was so weird. But I was able to find a community online that really built me up, Eric Smith, 27 years old, said about the role of social media in his childhood. I guess he's talking about Tumblr. That's where all the real weirdos are. There's no question that we've reached a tipping point. This is how it all ends that we've reached a tipping point moment where the public really understands the depth and breadth of the problem related to youth mental health and the social me- and social media. That says that's Jim Steyer, CEO of Common Sense Media. So um, again, it's one of those things where everybody's looking to see who they can hold accountable. But is that really, can anybody really be held accountable for that? If you want to hold accountable for an accident with a gun, you want to go to the gun manufacturer. Uh, even when people were going against Johnson and Johnson and they were trying to, um, they were trying to make it hard for doctors to prescribe opiates and all that other stuff and going after manufacturers and making the drugs harder for people to get, uh, where is discretion? Where's the discretion of doctors in that respect? Where is the safety and training and the responsibility of people who own a gun? Where is, where is uh, you know, it's safety and training of, of people who pick up these phones? And I, I know it's hard. I know it's everywhere. 
I know it's saturated everything. I know that most things that people do these days are reliant on these technologies. So it's like you're already doing it even if it's for constructive reasons, then all of a sudden it just becomes recreational and you never get off of it. But what is the real fix there? And is social media, social media the really only thing? It's what is really going on? It's what's on social media. And it's contributing badly to how people are functioning now. There's going to be self-image problems, no doubt about it, because almost everything you see on the internet has been uh, has been filtered in some way, and it's nonsense, and it's supposed to be influential in un- in unrealistic ways. Then you just have crypto marketing built into everything. I'm not talking about cryptocurrency, just hidden occult marketing and branding and mind control, search engine manipulation. Uh, We know that part of the political uh, reasoning for doing all that stuff is to really get people thinking and feeling uh, a certain desperate way so that they think that their vote is really going to be the difference maker in the world changing in a positive way. I mean, there's so much pressure subconscious pressure put on people and the fact that these uh these these uh you know bottom dwellers these bottom feeders in the political sphere are becoming less and less attractive to adults and people who have some kind of a experience in the world that they're going earlier and earlier into schools to try to recruit the support of child activists i'm not even call them student activists we're talking about child activism So there's so much on top, so much piled on top of them. And yeah, we know that the unhappiness and the depression and the suicide attempts and the medication is going through the roof. Now, this one over here, this is from Zero Hedge from October 13th. It's called A New Brave New World. And it, it, this goes beyond that, that age demographic and goes into a little bit more of, it goes a little bit more into... I guess, international arena. This actually takes us on a little journey to Scotland. A new brave new world. And it's talking about big pharma. New figures from Public Health Scotland, which show that more than a million men and women, close to a quarter of Scotland's adult population, are now being prescribed antidepressants, powerful drugs with wide-ranging effects on mood and physical health. This probably makes Scotland a nation with the highest rate of antidepressant use in the world. In the United States, by contrast, around 15% of adults are on antidepressants, which is still, by any metric, a lot. It's not just antidepressants that Scots are swallowing in in record numbers. According to figures published by the Mail on Sunday, more than a third of Scottish adults are now being prescribed drugs from one of five broad classes associated with mental health issues. This includes a further... 200,000 adults taking benzodiazepines, which are prescribed for anxiety and insomnia, and 190,000 people who take gabapentinoids. Another 130,000 adults are given so-called Z-drugs, such as Zopiclone and Zolpidem, and more than 800,000 are on opioid-based pain medication. A situation like this doesn't emerge overnight. It's taken decades for Scotland to reach this point. The problem was already bad enough in 2007 when the ruling Scottish National Party first came to power. That government made a pledge to reduce the country's dependency on antidepressants. Instead, the figures have risen every year since. 
By 2010, 630,000 adults were taking antidepressants, and an added 390,000 were added over the next 12 years. There's no reason to believe the trend won't continue. Jumping around to more highlights. So why is this happening? A representative from Scotland's Royal College of Psychia- uh, Psychiatrists, Dr. Jane Morris, suggested it may be simply due to increased public knowledge of mental health issues and the treatments uh, uh, on offer. So as I read that line, I kind of chuckled to myself. That's what they say about everything. Here's a quote. We'd like to think that public education and awareness of the treatability of mental illness means that more people are coming forward, she told the Mail on Sunday. Now, on this view, the number of people suffering from depression would be fixed, more or less. All that actually changes is how many people decide to seek treatment. We're supposed to conclude, then, that at least a quarter of the adult population of Scotland has always been depressed. You don't need to be an expert to have serious doubts that this could ever actually be the case. Dr. Morris did at least acknowledge that increasing prescription may now reflect a rise in Scotland's need for mental health treatment. Yeah. I can see that being a little bit more uh, in line. So that's just a case study in Scotland. Now, what's causing the depression? What is it? It can't all be social media. So um, I always, I, I wonder, and we talk about this a lot together. It's a cultural thing. What are the prospects? What is causing the depression? Uh, what are our, I don't know, what messages are being delivered to us every day about the, the present that, that we are living in relation to the future, especially? This is what's going on right now. We feel like shit right now. And of course, the big wigs, the peasant avante of the, uh, the world, they always come forward and they say, well, this is where we're going to go to make it better. This is how we're going to great reset the planet. And here's how it's all going to get better for all of us. Some of you are going to take, many of you are going to have to take a major step down in living, uh, quality of life and, you know, private property ownership and everything else, but don't worry, you'll be properly medicated. You won't even feel it. And whatever you do feel will kind of feel like happiness. And everybody else, you're just going to get a free ride until, of course, we don't need you anymore, and then your population is going to be reduced as well. But, you know, that's the present in relation to the future. And importantly, I think most importantly about what's going on right now that cannot be discounted is our past in relation to the present. You know, apparently... The world is being reset for the good of mankind. So then why is guilt? Why is these why are these learned inferiority complexes? Uh, the self-censorship, the taxation, the loss of private property? Why is that all part of the reset? Why is dehumanizing people, trying to get them away from proper diets and from red meats and, and trying to experiment with bugs and fungus burgers, something a little bit how does that how does that elevate anybody? And why is it the guilt that, oh, well, we just, we're just too used to having it so good for so long. We shouldn't have been living that way. And that's, of course, where the revisionist history comes in. And we're told that nothing of the past is worth, is worthy of noting, except anything that could be, anything that would, would give the current political order a reason to beg for reparations for protected classes and to continue the nonstop warlike activism. That's what's going on. You know, I even saw somebody, I saw a, a, a Twitter, I don't know, uh, one of those Twitter spaces 
I saw a Twitter space that was live around the time that I was tweeting out all of the, the live links for tonight's show. And the question, I think the topic of the Twitter space, I was just like, oh, God. It was, does the, is, the current Israeli-Palestinian conflict distract away, from the, uh, distract away from the cause of reparations? And I, I mean, I felt a, a, a wave of nausea. You want to talk about empathy. I was trying to empathize with being in that headspace where, yeah, I mean, there's another, here's another foreign war that, uh, you know, where everybody, the, the bell's being rung and all the tension is being dragged over there. I understand that point. But to say, is this a distraction away from, you know, uh, reparations? Ugh. Oh, my God. Talk about, talk about just being a, a, pro, a, a computer program running out, just, just running out the cycle. It's incredible. But, you know, once, one, now once you learn to throw up that guard, it's, uh, it becomes a little bit easier to deal with all this stuff, but it's still pretty depressing to be reminded of the crap that lives outside of those walls that we put up every day. And then last night, quite frankly, staff writer... John Carroll, who keeps me, uh, help, helps me keep the telegram fresh, posted something that we did in 2021. Now, around, in, around October 2021, there was a big flood around here, just came out of nowhere. And it really hit my grandmother's house hard. A lot of people got it bad around here, but I was responsible for helping go pump out my grandmother's house and try to re- you know, retrieve any of the the family artifacts and relics that were there floating in the water again. And among the stuff that I was, I was sifting through, I found my father's 1967, 1960, 1967 edition of the Boy Scout handbook. And I was flipping through it because I just love, I love things printed at that in, in between those years from the 50s throughout the 60s, all of those like golden book encyclopedias. I love all of the artwork. I love the information given. It's unapologetic. It's just, it is what it is. And man, this really brought me to it. I saw this as, sitting there on the telegram. I immediately picked it up and I put it onto the, the, uh, the Instagram, the quite frankly Instagram. And here's the first picture right there. It was a Boy Scout, a Boy Scout being pointed westward, obviously, by the, uh, I would say, the specter of George Washington. And it's about the passing of the torch, and it's about just, just you know, giving this kind of a feeling to young American boys coming up that this is your country now, this is who started it, this is the, the groundwork that's been laid Take it to the next, take it to the next level, and then pass the baton. Go out there, keep your head up, and win, win, win. Now, the handbook was a, th- a throwback. It was posted on a Telegram, and I wanted to read this to you. This was called uh, it, the the main opening. Uh, as you open up the uh, the book, you get through all the the copyright stuff. You get this picture, and then you get this. It says, "You American boy," and it reads as follows. Have you ever dreamed of hiking the wilderness trails that were worn down under moccasins hundreds of years ago? Do you hear in your imagination the almost soundless dip-dip of Indian canoe paddles or the ring of the axe of an early pioneer hewing a home out of the American wilderness? Have you followed with your mind's eye the covered wagons on the trek across our continent? 
Have you thought of men and women who built this country, our country, by their determination and devotion? You are the descendant of those people. You are the guardian of what they built. You are the American on whom the future of our wonderful country depends. That's the, that's the opening of the Boy Scout handbook in the 1960s. As soon as I read that, I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was airing out and drying out the handbook in the sun, the October sun in 2021. And as I was, you know, as all of the pages started to dry out and they were able to be peeled apart independently and I was reading some of these things, uh, the, what swelled up in me was both that uh, like a healthy pride pumped me up at the same time because we are now so many years in the future there is also that that kind of sadness of the contrast of where it actually went where where that is an incredible mandate that's an incredible mandate to give to young generations of a country that is determined to preserve its identity its culture and build something for the future of everybody who calls that place home regardless of where they came from originally what they look like you know that's the that's the real thing so when you think about what you you know it's uh, it's just incredible what a little pride can do for you and now i, I don't want to be too reductive here i know that we have a lot working against us from the food that we eat on down but what do you think what do you think our depression what do you think our depression rates would be if domestic culture of places like Scotland or the United States were proud, confident, and serious about the self-preservation of their culture. That also means the self-preservation of the balance between the sexes and just just everything. You know where, where this all started, that pioneer spirit. Obviously, after a while, all the frontiers go away, and they just have to kind of settle into what you have and try to make things better, or at least make things stable and constantly restore it. Restoration is just as good as, you know, what everybody, everybody thinks is a, uh, an upgrade. So what do you think? How much of a factor do you think this is? Chris Ann Hall has one of the top comments there on that, on that post. She'll be on the show again on November 2nd. Got a lot I want to talk to her about. But she says, this shows us just how much our government education system has programmed Americans to hate America and the alphabet media is the enforcer, the reinforcer. You have been trained to hate your family, your people, and your home. Now, I think that goes a long way. Even if people don't really identify that as a major driver in what's going on, that is foundational. If that foundation is cut, if it is destroyed, and you just float away untethered, then I'm sure there's many other things that can go and bring you down. Social media is not only a driver of these messages, not only a driver of really uh, unrealistic self-image standards, but there's also, I mean, it's just, it's, it's nonstop, nonstop negative, nonstop browbeating about how bad things have been, always were, and will continue to be unless you relent and surrender to somebody else. And there's plenty of people, plenty of people looking for your surrender right now. So I want to ask you about that. What comes up for you when I read that, that opening of the Boy Scout handbook? What do you think the depression rates would be? And uh, I, cause I think it would negate a lot. I think it would. Life is hard enough. 
no, you're, you're never going to have somebody skipping through some beaver cleaver kind of a paradise uh, from from cradle to grave. It, it's rough. Every transition of it is rough, and and you know, you, outlook is what bails you out. Outlook and perspective is what bails you out, and good mentors and and good traveling partners. And as a bonus question, I would ask you, what do you think children growing up today will be nostalgic about in the future? Okay, and that's outside of the happy times that they have with their loved ones, holidays, etc. What do you think they'll be nostalgic about in the future? Perhaps if we have some Gen Zers out there that are watching, you can call in and ask that. So that's 914-200-0269. We have about 20 minutes before we end. So that should be good enough for at least a handful of calls. And that will that's all she wrote for Tuesday. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Quite frankly, uh, you know, contributed to the death of 7 million people because of the funding of gain-of-function uh, experiments in the Wuhan lab. Howdy, friend. You looking for a message board? Go to quitefrankly.tv and enter the forum. Engage with official show topic threads or start your own thread. Get signed up. It's that easy. And it's not Reddit, so don't sweat it. For the forum and then so much more, it's quitefrankly.tv. Yeehaw. One four two zero 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 two six nine. Let's take a call. Eight two eight. You're on the air. Who's this? Oh, this is uh, this is Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. Oh, one of our favorite restaurants ever. What's going on? How you doing? <laughs> no, it's Crack Your Barrel. Oh, Crack Your Barrel. I was gonna say. In fact, Cracker Barrel just came up. Uh, but, uh, Lauren and I were talking about it last night. I forgot what the hell it was. Oh yeah, there, yeah. Well, it was. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you, you, you loaded a lot there. I, I was a Boy Scout, and um, what you uh, showed on the on the on the screen there was beautiful to me. Like the, the artwork and just the the the, the Boy Scout against you know um, put against uh, uh, George Washington. The back backdrop is just it's just beautiful to me, mm. and it's it's just so sad that you know we've gone to this place that we have. And um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was I've come to the to this conundrum <clears throat> lately where people are always talking about the country and, and they always say this like, we bombed this or we did that. And I'm like, no, we didn't. Yeah. I didn't do it. Yeah. You know, our, 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 our leaders are out of control. We have a bunch of psychopaths. Right. Sat- satanic psychopaths that are out there making decisions and doing all this stuff. I'm glad you bring that up, Crack Your Barrel. I am. I really do. Um, I'm glad you bring it up because it's it's something that I I think needs to be said and resaid as many times as it takes because you know um, it it's it's true, it's true. He's like, oh well, you know, you, you guys are always like no 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 no. Uh, everybody, I don't know anybody. Uh, sometimes you're hoodwinked. And, you know, a lot. There's a lot of patriotism. A lot of you know. Sometimes there's a lot of people who say, let's go, let's go find the bastards who did this to us, especially when you go back to somewhere like September 11th. And there is, 
there's a little bit more to be taken advantage of. But there is so much less of that now. And, and, and trust has been just dip, dripping away. And there has been vociferous anti-war uh, demonstrations since the 1970s all over the place. And it, it just seems to, th- seems to always shake out where no matter where public sentiment is, the people who are supposed to be representing them don't give a shit. And the ability to even deploy the military and to go out there and wage war or assist in somebody else's war is becoming less and less of an arduous task to do. It's just it's just it's all been vested illegally in in uh, in executive action. And and so, you know, we already have a representation problem over here. Same thing goes for a lot of people in Europe. It, we, we are seeing bombs being dropped with planes with flags that we love very dearly. Uh, affixed to their tails, and it's that, that's us. No, it's not us. It's not us. And then they go destroy the people's countries. They create migrant crises, drug crises, everything else, and they flood our neighborhoods with all the uh, with all the the refuse of the world. And um, and then and then we're called we're called dirty names for not wanting life to change when we didn't want to go and destroy people's homes in the first place. And 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 that that plays out in so many different ways. <laughs> And we're, we're just completely marginalized tax cattle. They steal from us, they steal from us, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> well, the other part of your question, though, what are, you know, what is that generation going to hold nostalgic? Yeah. You know, I've got some kids, too. And all I can think of is, you know, when I think of <laughs> nostalgia, um, I think of my uh, Super Nintendo back in the day, you know, and are my kids going to have that nostalgia moving forward? I don't know. It's a good question. Well, maybe we'll get some. Uh, maybe we get well, some some younger callers to to talk about that because I, I can't even impart that onto anyone. Yeah, because yeah, I'm old as shit. I mean, well, I'm not. It's curious. <laughs> it's curious for me too. It really is. It really is. I yeah. don't. Um, I don't know what's popular anymore. But thanks for the call, my friend. Yes, sir. Take care. There you go. There's crack your barrel. Uh, what is going on, Jules? How are you? Hey. Frank, how are you? It's great to hear you again. Um, oh, it's great to hear from you. Um, I had a uh, poo-poo on the plane story. Oh, gosh. Hell. Go ahead. Oh, my God. It's, um, well, anyway, I was sitting in coach. Um, I'm a former airline employee, so I kind of know the ins and outs of things. Um, anyway, so first seat of coach, there's maybe four, three rows in first class, and and I looked at the back and I was like, there is no way I'm going to make it back there to go to the bathroom. So I stood up and I could see that the first class flight attendant looked at me and I walked in through the cabin. I mean, it's like I said, it's by three rows. And he hopped in front of that lab door and said, this is reserved for first class. And I looked straight up at him and I had the guts to say, unless you want to clean a big pile of crap off the floor right here, you're going to step aside. <laughs> he hopped so fast, held the door open for me, said, take your time, take your time, do whatever you have to do. <laughs> and, um, and it was just, it was comical. It was comical at best. Cause I was like, I am not going to make it 30 rows into the back. You, so, you see, you see, uh, th- that may, you may have made headlines if this was years later. I, I don't know how much more courteous that person would have been all these years later. It, that also, you're lucky. You're lucky. There might be a lot of there might be a lot of people right now who'd be like, "I don't care, shit in your pants. I'm going next." <laughs> 
I, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. With what you see at the airlines now, that's probably he probably still would have probably backed up to it and said, you must go into the back, at which point I could have, you know, I don't know what would have happened. But anyway, it was good to see you and the family over the weekend up in the Adirondacks. Thank you, Jules. It's all—it's always good to be seen, and I'm—I'm I'm happy to hear from you again. It's always great to have you around. Okay. Well, thanks for taking the call, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Bye bye. There is Jules. Um, over on Pilled on QuiteFrankly.tv. Porpoiseful. Thank you so much. Witchy Pooh. Robert Sarns. Jay Brewskies. NJSF. Tom Ford just gifted a three-month bronze tier subscription. Now I heard that Foxhole Pilled.net had had uh, rolled that out where now you can gift pers- uh, uh, subscriptions just like they do that on DLive. Now, what's interesting about this now is that Stephanie Sprague just claimed that three-month bronze tier subscription gifted by Tom Ford. You know what that means? That for the next three months, Stephanie Sprague is going to get all of the Sunday, exclusive Sunday stream links sent to her. She'll also be included in the book club and everything else that comes along with those universal perks of monthly subscribership because uh, Foxhole is one of the four places that uh, that we manage monthly subscribers in the in the, the, the subscriber sphere, quite frankly. So that's really interesting. That's the first time I've seen that happen over there. And welcome to the family, Stephanie. I'll see you on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> All right. First one up on quite frankly superchat.com and then right back to the calls. Wendy Wah says great show last night. It was nice to hear you deal with the callers. I was I, I was on a ride just with you guys. I was on the same ride you guys were. So, what do you think about the depression rates? What do you think about the uh the, the need the need for some healthy national pride and anything else? What's going on caller you're on the air? It's your friend Zozo. Hey, Zozo. How are you? Great, my friend. Hey, dude. You, I mean, the last few weeks, you've been touching on just nostalgic items that, uh, I mean, my mystery ship tends to run nostalgic quite a bit of the time, but you do it every so often. Your Columbus Day thing was freaking fantastic. Thank you. But uh, this one, this Boy Scout thing. So, a little story. My dad was huge in scouting. He was not only an Eagle Scout as a kid, he took the next step up, which is Order of the Arrow, where they would take wait, wait, Zoso. a kid out in the woods with Zoso. virtually nothing. Wait, Zoso. Zoso. And let him Zoso. survive for three days. Zoso. Yeah. Can, can you can you uh, kill the uh, the stream in the background? I Sorry, I walked away from the phone. Okay. <laughs> Should be better now. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So, so your father, he went the next step above Eagle Scout. Start from there. Order of the Arrow, where they take a young man out in the woods with virtually nothing, and he has to survive with nothing but his scouting skills for three days, starting a fire, digging a hole, sleeping in the pit so you stay warm where the fire was, all that. Wow. My dad, in turn, became not only a scoutmaster, but he led when I was a young Cub Scout. He led the entire pack, uh, the next thing up from a pack, uh, no, den pack, whatever the next, troop, that's what it is. My dad would organize these gigantic, like 400 scout tent setups. And uh, when I was a kid, this was all through the 50s that he was doing that. 
when I was a kid, my brother and I were probably eight and ten. We were Cub Scouts. And these two older guys showed up. They were probably 18, 20, somewhere in that. And these kids had been young scouts when my dad was the scoutmaster. And they came to see him just because he made such a big impression on their lives with the jamborees and all the stuff that he used to show. And, Frank, when I was a kid in school, we were allowed to wear our Cub Scout uniform to school on days when we had meetings. After about three years, they, they said, no, no, you got to wear your Catholic school uniform. You can't do that anymore. But at least 25% of the kids in my class were either scouts, I mean Cub Scouts, or is it brownies on the Girl Scout side. I mean, that's in the 60s. To see this spiral, I mean, I can't tell you when's the last time I saw a kid in a Cub Scout uniform. I just can't even, I can't even remember if it's, other than the girls who sell Girl Scout cookies in front of the, you know, the Safeway every now and then, it it pains me that this isn't more a part of the American landscape. It, what you just read this morning, uh, just now, with your your dad's book, dude, it got me right in my gut, man. Hmm. Just that used to be so important. I think it should. I think two years of scouting should be a prerequisite for every kid who goes to school. Period. Well, you know, I, just, I, I never, I never experienced it, and of course, this is uh, decades, a uh, few decades before I was even born, and still, to read it, it got me in the gut, and, and 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 only because I'm saying to myself, oh man, oh man, to have to have been around when this was just the way it was. Oh, I wish. Oh, man. That's why I often fantasize about what my time machine vacations would be like. You know, where am I going to go spend a week? Uh, spend a week and just just be in it. And it's just I don't know. I mean, it's also the reason why I love the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade so much. Young Indy going out there running running around looking for the cross of Coronado, and he's he. <laughs> He, he he detaches he detaches from his little troop there. I mean, they're on horseback, so I know that this was even more uh, legit. The farther you go back, where you're doing things, man. You know, I uh, I don't know what it is now. Obviously, all we hear about the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts now is how they're they're just mired in scandal and abuse oh, and God. the the gender bending. And you don't have to be a boy. You don't have to be a boy to be a Boy Scout. You don't have to be a girl. To- I know, Frank. Do you know that I still utilize? Uh, skills that I learned as a scout to this day, how to, uh, certain knots that I tie, uh, things out in the yard, I, things I share with my grandson, you know. I mean, it's just, man, you just, you really touched my heart with this one, man. I love your show. Well, yeah, there's got to be greater college than this, but I. Well, dude, let me, let me, a, well, so let me ask you one, one quick question with a quick answer. Do you think, yeah. do you think that what was reflected in that little the, the the passage of the Boy Scout handbook, if that was something, if that was something that was held on to, and if all of this self-flagellating, self-loathing culture, uh, or absence of culture, uh, didn't replace that at some point, where do you think? And I, like I said, I don't want to be too reductive because I know life life comes at you and a, and a lot of things can drive a person down and make them depressed and, and struggle a little bit. But where do you think, by and large, we would be with our depression, our depression uh, statistics, especially with the young people, if we had kept up this kind of a trajectory? 
my my man. Even even with the advent of the internet and all of that, scouting was something that actually appealed to younger kids. And if you hook them in the six to ten year old, you know, median there, it sticks with them. And I think that even as they progressed and got older and had other distractions, you know, video games, whatever, all the crap that's out there for kids today. I think it it nestles in their heart. That that little passage that you read, I think should be at the beginning of every history book. When a kid opens up his book, that should be right in the freaking front of it because it it's part of being a proud American. And, uh, you know, scouting really does harken back to uh, Native Americans. It really does them justice and honor. Uh, I, I, I think so many things would be cured if that was a part of young people's daily regimen. That would just be amazing. Thanks for the call, Zoe. So great to hear from you. Love you, man. Take care. Love you, too. Be well. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you think about that opening. It calls the reader, it calls the recipient of that handbook not to just join something because I was never a scout, but reading that, it's a reminder that everyone who calls this place home is a part of its history. It's very easy to look at things that happen, read about things that happened in the 18th century and say, wow, well, that was just another world, another time, another planet. And if you look at that story as linear, here we are. And it's as much our game to control as it was their game to control. What are we doing? What are you prepared to do? And how are you able to uh, to function in that environment? So I, I think, you know, especially if you're a child in that situation growing up and reading that and being part of the scouts and having that sort of, you know, there's a military aspect to it. There is a discipline aspect to it. It is, it's, it's identifiably, unmistakably uh, American. I can see how that's just part of the, of the, um, the vibe. But anyway, yeah. All right, let's take another call. 931, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Ruben from Tennessee. Hey, Ruben, what's going on? Oh, nothing much. I just wanted to be part of the conversation after our email. Yes, yes. Um, Go ahead. So, talking about children and their mental stability and whatnot, and then smoking is what I'm going to get into. Uh, I have a younger daughter. She was maybe 14 at the time, and we're I was going to counseling with her. And she kept saying, you know, well, or my ex-wife kept telling me, you know, your daughter's not happy coming over and she doesn't want to come over and it's really causing issues with her life. Ruben, can you, wait, wait, Ruben, I want to hear every every bit of this. Can you get a little bit closer to the to re, the receiver? Yes. Okay, and and, 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 I, and I'm not on speakerphone, right? No, sir. Okay, okay, okay. About, I just want to get a little bit louder. Okay, go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I could. Okay, so... You know, thinking about it, and like, you know, two, four days a month, I cannot be ruining my daughter's life. Like, I cannot be causing that much stress on her four days a month. So, come to find out, uh, she was smoking. And when she'd come over, she wasn't able to smoke, which was causing her anxiety. And they put her on Lexapro because of her anxiety. You tracking with me? Yeah. So, so the... 
She was smoking cigarettes at 14 and knowing that she... Oh, 18. At 18. No, sir, vaping. She was vaping. Oh, vaping. Yeah, well, yeah but but still, that's that, that. You're talking about nicotine, right? Correct. Yes, correct. But what was was she smoking cigarettes prior to? No, not that I ever knew. So she just jumped into the the vaping with because uh, I know some kid. If you're not, you know, it, you know, they have it without nicotine. So that's 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 incredible. Well, anyway, so anyway, she's vaping. She knows she doesn't want to do it around you. So in the time that she's spending with you, those four whatever's uh, four nights a uh, a month or whatever. She's suffering mm-hmm. from like withdrawal, and for the withdrawal Correct. from the withdrawal from the nicotine, they're giving her Lexapro. Correct. Jeez. And luckily, when I was in my twenties, and you know I'm a fellow bald guy, Lexapro did me in. Within two years, I lost eighty percent of my hair, and I was able to get her to transition off of it because she, as well, was losing her hair. So. But why? Why would they go with Lexapro for uh, nic? This is purely nicotine addiction. Why not just tell her, "Hey, listen, uh, chew this gum, or here's some tea tree oil, or or something else." Why did they go to an antidepressant like that? No, nobody knew about the nicotine. I chose to start drug testing her when she came over because I knew there had to be some other issue going on. So I started drug testing her and drug test and nicotine testing her, and that's how we found out. But to cover up the smoking and the anxiety she was feeling, the counselor prescribed her Lexapro. Okay. Just anxiety from not having the smoking around. It wasn't just like she was having the jitters. Wow. Again, I wouldn't I wouldn't know on her end. Still, still, it's just, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can see that all coming together. But nobody was telling so you, huh? No, well, that, you sounded great right there. What did you just do? Ruben, what did you just do that I just heard you so well for a second? Uh, my uh, headset died. Oh, well, good. Next time before you call in, kill your headset first. Because that's... <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Well, thank you for the call, man. Um, yeah, that definitely has a, a couple different aspects of what we're talking about tonight lumped into one. I hope all is well with you at home. Yes, everything's been better since. Okay. Since we identified you. Send my best to the family. Thank you, sir. Later. Take care. All right, let's take another one. Let's go to uh, 985. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Frank. Hey. This is um, uh, Southern Lady Tiger. I've called in before. What's going on, Southern Lady Tiger? Go ahead. Not a whole lot. I just wanted to call in and let you uh, talk to you about the Boy Scouts. Okay. My father was a Boy Scout, an Eagle Scout. My husband's father was an Eagle Scout. My husband is an Eagle Scout. And both of my boys were Eagle Scouts. Wow. And my husband and the boys were all in the Order of the Arrow. Oh, so they did, but, they did the, uh, the wilderness test, huh? Yes. But um, my oldest went into the military, which was a lot of the kids his age that were in that scout troop ended up in the military. That was right before 9-11. And the youngest one didn't go into the military, but uh, he's he's just such a strong member of society. And you and you take that as a um, as an indispensable indispensable uh, piece of of what makes them who they are today. 
absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely um their morals their fiber their physical and moral fiber um you know they they it's christian based you know they well, of course we were very christian based to begin with but it was just it was a good stepping stone for them for their careers for whatever they needed to do um my husband was also a assistant scout master so he went with them they went canoeing they would i mean they did all the camp. Well, Lady Tiger, let me ask you this because we're running out of time. Let me ask you: Have you have you been able to talk to them? Well, maybe you you'll be able to ask them now since we're we've kind of roped all this together to talk about society at large and what's changed over the years. But obviously, so much there's been such a stark fall from grace for the Boy Scouts over the years. As I said before, scandals, money problems, the uh, all, all the, 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 the identity politics that has just really ruined a lot of things. There's very, very few pure, safe male spaces anywhere, especially for young kids left. Um, I know that there are competing scouting, uh, there, there are competing companies and organizations that try to step in and, and provide a scouting experience that the Boy Scouts used to provide, but have you ever talked to them about uh, about what they feel, what, what has happened, and how the experiences they had growing up is probably uh, not as, uh, you know, not as prevalent for everybody else that's in there, aside from just membership being down and out? Um, actually, yes. My oldest son has had a, a boy um, who's he's 20 years old now, but he did not put him in scouting hmm. because he wasn't he wasn't here. He wasn't in. We're from Louisiana and uh, hence the tiger, by the way. Um, hmm. he was from, uh, he was from Louisiana. He did all his scouting in Louisiana. He was stationed in North Carolina. So when he went to North Carolina, he you know, got married and had children. When his son, his oldest son, um, grew up, he refused to put him in scouting because that's when all of the scandals started hitting and he just didn't like the way the road that scouting was going at that point. Hmm. And he was very disappointed because he really wanted to put him in scouting. Um, of course, he taught him a lot of the stuff that he learned through scouting outside of scouting. But, you know, it's just not the same. It's not like having the scouting experience. No, I get you. I get you. And, and, and you know, it really makes And thank you for the call. It was a really wonderful call to end tonight. Thank you, Lady Tiger, down there in Louisiana. Um once again, the the evil making its way into institutions, churches, anything that once served a holistic purpose for people and giving them any kind of a uh, belonging and community connection and uh, aspirations for the future, especially connection to family and nation, your nation, your culture. Once again, that's something we see time and time again, infiltration of one's meaningful institutions. And then from there, what happens? Everybody just abandons it. Everybody goes off and fills their time with something else. And uh, it's usually just keeps fracturing and splintering. And that's what we see. Well, I think we got enough on there. I would love to hear what people have 
on their minds and I'll be checking out my uh, my email and we'll see what comes in over the next couple of hours. Let me check the super chats real quick. Over on Rumble, we've got a Rumble rant from Katie Catsky D. Katie said Nacho Libre puts a smile on my face and a chuckle in my belly every single time I watch it. Every line, every facial expression is the funniest thing ever. One of the greatest movies ever made. So if you went to Dr. Katie for a prescription, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be in her happy medicine chest. Jay Semo says, excellent show. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jay Semo. It's great to have you out there as always. Thank you for being a consistent rumble ranter. And uh, over on quitefrankly.tv, thank you, Delona, for shades and a phone. Uh, let's see what else here. Tom Ford just got into a a gold tier subscription and he gifted another subscription which was claimed by dread quarters all the subscription gifting that's going on right now tom ford is so if there's like i don't know how many extra people there's a few extra people watching in the sunday stream you'll know why because tom ford is making members out of everybody over on quite frankly superchat.com hello kitty sks says hi frank Dwayne was a boy eagle scout however the organization has been corrupted no vetting background checks of the leaders so bad by the way to anyone who messages and follows me on instagram and facebook i am in timeout until october 19th she's been very bad that kitty bad kitty Okay, well, you American boy and girl, I hope that this hit somewhere that made you think. And since we're in, uh, since we're in a little bit of a uh, a place where we're talking about pride and all that stuff and reminiscing, twenty five years ago tonight, I've been wearing my my Yankees nineteen ninety eight World Series patch. Actually, twenty five years ago tonight was game one of the 1998 World Series between the Yankees and the Padres, 25 years. Anyway, uh, since we've been talking a little bit about pride and identity tonight, I thought this would be a nice touch. And um, with that, we're going to be ending. I'll see you tomorrow night for a full two hours. It's going to be a great one. Going to be a great one. In the meantime, enjoy. We direct your attention to the microphone behind home plate. And here to honor America, please welcome New York's own Mr. Tony Bennett. <laughs> oh, beautiful, for spacious skies. For amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesty, above thy fruited plain, amazing.
Get you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatter, starting with Hello Kitty, SKS, Windy Wah, Jay Semo, uh, Books and Coffee, who's now just become a monthly sub- uh, supporter on. Rumble, how, how very nice of you. Thank you, Jay Semo, Books and Coffee, which is a wonderful name, by the way. Kate Sky D. Thank you, guys and gals, and to all of our wonderful friends on QuiteFrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole, who are giving each other subscriptions like it's nobody's business. Thank you, Tom Ford, and all the rest. I'm releasing the scratching right now. We will see you tomorrow night, same place, same time. Goodbye.